Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and set it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them so many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop. Some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others came around him and asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The father sows the word. Some people are like the seed upon the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others are like seed sown on rocky places. Hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on the good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60 some a hundred times what was sown. A couple of weeks ago, our family had the privilege of being able to escape this winter climate and head south to Florida. And if you have ever been to Florida or know anything about it, there are certain things that you are bound to encounter down there. One is warm weather. You're also bound to encounter like palm trees and you're bound to encounter prescription drug commercials. It's a really strange thing. Now, I mean, a lot of us, we watch television on streaming services or maybe PVR shows, so we don't watch commercials as much as we used to. Uh, but we were down there, and it was the NBA All-Star Game, so we were watching, and we had to watch it in real, uh, real time. And it was just unbelievable how many commercials for prescription drugs there were. It was like constant. It happened. Um, but that wasn't the most impressive thing I saw on television when I was down there. Uh, when I was flipping around the channels trying to figure out where it was, uh, the channel that we were looking for, I came across a show that was called the Christian Fitness Channel. I'm not kidding you, I took this picture with my own phone. And I I was sitting there and I was like, is this really happening? Uh, So basically these two people sit on this couch and they do these exercises and and the guy's like, put your hands in the air. And then he's like rolling his shoulders. And this is literally what he said. He said, isn't it amazing that you can get a good workout and read scripture at the same time? Now, two things, two things immediately came to mind. One, that's not a good workout. I'm sorry, rolling your shoulders? That's not a good workout. Um, 
And second, the th I just thought, there's nothing like multitasking in the Bible, right? Because we can't just read the Bible. We've got to work out while we're reading. We've got to find something else to do while we're reading this thing. Well, week after week, we gather here around the story of Jesus that we find in the pages of our Bibles with the belief that letting these words sink into the soil of our lives will help us to follow Jesus more closely as we learn to reflect God's image out into the world around us. But as this morning's reading reminds us, not everything that we hear actually takes root. Even the best news of all can fail to produce tangible results in our lives. Author Jamie Smith says that Christian worship itself is a habitual recognition of both our failure and our aspiration. Christian worship, so what we're doing here, gathering together, is never accomplished. It is not the repertoire of a people who have arrived, but precisely the rhythms of a people all too aware that they remain on the way. To show up for worship is tantamount to an admission of failure. That somehow we haven't quite arrived. We haven't grown yet. And as I said last week, Lent is a time of spiritual consideration. It's a time of spiritual renewal. This season between this last Wednesday, uh, Ash Wednesday, and then the, the, the Saturday leading up to Easter in the middle of April, this is the time where we encourage one another, whether we're outside of faith looking in, to say, use this as a time of consideration. Or for those who have already embraced faith, to say, this is going to be a time of growth for me. I'm going to let these seeds sink in, and I'm going to water them and tend them and care for them more particularly during this season, maybe even than other times of the year. And so between now and Easter... We're going to be reading stories from Mark's gospel that help illustrate the different ways that people tend to respond to the good news of Jesus as introduced to us in this passage. But let's begin with the first line of the reading that Mel read for us here. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. After a harsh blast of winter like we've had this week, maybe we could all just close our eyes and imagine that's where we are, all right? So we just imagine that I'm in a boat off the shore, and you're all sitting on the beach, and you're laying down on a blanket, or maybe you've got a nice lounge chair, a Muskoka chair, maybe you're sitting under an umbrella, and we're just enjoying it, and that's, like, that's a great way to teach. That's a great way to learn. I think people would show up at church all the time if it was on the side of a lake. I was thinking, like, have I ever had this experience? No, I've never stood in a boat and taught. Uh, the closest thing I could think to preaching from a lake was uh, a baptism I did in a backyard pond once. And uh, so friends of ours, uh, were, someone was being baptized, and so they offered to use the pond in their backyard. Now, the pond was like a, it was a circle, so it, like the bottom of it was like this. It was very steep. And so I, I kind of walked into it, and I walked in like maybe 10 feet from the shore, if that. And I was like, the water was up to like my thigh, but the mud and the sludge was up to like the middle of my shins. And it was like as I was talking, like I was sinking. And I had like, I had to like brace my legs like this. And I'm thinking, how on earth am I going to hold someone's weight and dunk them under the water here? This is going to be really difficult. I was sure that I was going to be capsized. But anyways, I survived. So I don't really know a whole lot about what it's like to teach in that environment. But I think J Jesus was doing it so he could ha captivate as large of an audience as possible. We're told that there were so many people, really this is the only way that he could teach them. He had to back up a little, let them spread out, and he began to teach. He taught them many things by parables, we're told. I did a little Google search of, uh, I just typed in parable of, and these are the top ones that came to mind. A parable of the sower, parable of the talents, parable of the lost sheep, parable of the mustard seed, parable of the good Samaritan, parable of the prodigal son. These are some of the more popular, the more well-known, certainly the most, more searched after uh, parables that Jesus told. He used this type of teaching to help his audience grasp deeper truths. And this morning we've heard one of his most popular. It's about a farmer sowing seed. 
Now, Jesus suggests that this was an entry-level parable. He's like, like, how can you not understand this one? Like, this is one of the easiest parables I'm going to tell you. How do you not understand this? And in fact, it even came with an explanation. But before we get into the parable itself, why did he choose this method of teaching in the first place? Well, there's a hint in verse 9 of the passage we heard this morning. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, since pretty much all of us are born with ears, the parable was clearly meant for everyone. But then apparently there's a difference between having ears and hearing. Great timing this week. I was listening to an episode of the Freakonomics Radio podcast, and they were talking about cochlear implants in, in a person's ear. So a person who has hearing impairment or lo complete loss of hearing, this device, uh, essentially, it's an electronic device that partially restores hearing. And so they were talking about this, and, and, uh, and one of the, at one point, uh, they made this comment that if you ever need a good cry, just type in cochlear implant activation on YouTube. Uh, and I was like, really? I, well, I'll put that to the test. I, you know, I'm not a very emotionally person, so I typed in that. And, well, let's just say that I was wiping wet substance from the side of my eyes as I watched this young girl hear clearly for the first time in her life. It's just profound and beautiful and makes, uh, made me just so grateful for the things I take for granted. But also just marveling at the, the miracle of this science. It's just so incredible. Well, within a year, most people make considerable gains in understanding their speech. And yet the point of this podcast episode was not to talk about the technology itself. It was to talk about how, how that actually the percentage of people that actually kind of go through this and use it to its full potential is a lot lower than we would expect. As one of the specialists said in the interview, just because I put the internal part in doesn't mean that an individual will be wearing the external part. So I'm going to perform this surgery, I'm going to make a connection, I'm going to restore a connection that's been lost, but the person, the user, actually has to connect something on the outside of the side of their head in order to activate the device. And so the, that podcast was exploring this idea of like, even when we have a solution to something, it can be difficult for it to be applied if the person on the receiving end doesn't do what was intended to be done. Even with such incredible technology, the human factor can negate its value. Even with Jesus standing in a boat, right in front of them, teaching about the kingdom of God, there was still a risk that the crowd wouldn't actually hear what he said. Now, this is a common theme in relationships, right? Maybe you have heard this question at some point in your life, are you even listening to me, right? Like, so maybe, maybe it's a parent and a child, and the parent's like, are you even listening to me? Or maybe it's coworkers, or, or maybe, like, I can imagine a situation where this would happen in a marriage relationship. Um, like, let's just say, for example, um, a, a wife was talking and, and, and she says this to the husband, like, are you even listening to me? I can imagine that situation happening. Stephen Covey says that uh, most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. So a lot of our listening falls short of what it has the potential to be, right? Uh, someone is telling us something significant, but we're actually thinking about something else, and so we're not actually listening. And, and to a degree, that's what Jesus is acknowledging here. He goes on to explain that the very reason he speaks to the crowd in parables is so that most aren't going to listen anyways. And then he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Now, this comes from a well-known story in the Old Testament where Isaiah saw a vision of, uh, of the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, 
For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah receives one of the more bizarre commissions in the entire Bible. As it appears, he's told to go and tell the people, don't turn and receive forgiveness. There you go. What a strange thing. Why would God send someone out to say, don't hear what I'm saying, don't see what I'm showing you, because otherwise you'd receive forgiveness? Well, Greg Boyd, commenting on this passage, says that God sends Isaiah out as an act of judgment, anticipating that the preaching of his word will only serve to further solidify the Israelites in their self-chosen obstinacy. He's saying, just go out and say, this because the people are already not listening to me. Now, the interesting thing about this passage, this little passage from Isaiah, is that it's no outlier. It's quoted by each of the four gospel writers. And if you're not familiar with how the New Testament is constructed, essentially it begins with four different accounts of Jesus' life, um, traditionally by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they, are, they all tell the same story, but from a different vantage point and from a different perspective. And so, in a lot of cases, one will tell one story, another will tell another story, and there is actually only a handful of times where they, all four accounts of Jesus' life refer to the same instance. But this passage is one of them. This passage, this time where Jesus quoted from Isaiah, chapter 6, is included in all four gospel accounts and in the book of Acts. It's interesting. Now, the other thing for us to think about as we think about Jesus quoting from an Old Testament book is that when in the New Testament there's a quote of a passage in, what, again, what we refer to as the Old Testament, it would have been the scriptures for the people of the time, uh, when we hear someone uh, quoting from that, it might just be a little segment or a small little portion of a passage, but we're supposed to assume that the entire passage, the context of the entire passage. You see, today, we might have a tendency to just pull out a verse, and we've talked about this before, you know, you put it up on the wall, and it's like, that's the verse, but really we don't understand the context of it. We did a series on that last year. Um, but for the Jews who would have been listening to this, when Jesus would have referred to this passage from Isaiah, they didn't need to hear the whole passage because they knew what the story was about. They knew what, this was, what was going on here. I have to explain the context of Isaiah, that, he was, that this is who he was, that this is, was a history, that this is what was happening. But the people who were hearing it at the beginning, they didn't have to hear it. Come on. You're welcome. Isaiah, think about this, who saw the Lord was sent out to a people who refused to see. He saw the Lord, the Lord Almighty, there he is. But he was sent out to a people who would refuse to see, which is exactly Jesus' point. He, too, expects his teaching to be rejected. That's why he quotes this passage. And everyone who heard it would have known, oh, he's comparing us to the people back then. That just like Isaiah was not heard and was rejected by the people He's expecting his teaching to be rejected as well. But not by everyone. Those who do see, those who do hear, will learn the secret of the kingdom. Kind of like the people who read their program this morning and discovered that if you come up to the front while I'm talking about Isaiah, you can have yourself a reward of chocolate. And unfortunately, because the rest of you didn't pay attention, you missed out. So a cochlear implant bypasses damaged portions of the ear to deliver sound signals to the auditory nerve. Similarly, a parable bypasses our normal ways of thinking to deliver truth. 
It's a biological miracle the way our brains teach us how to make quick judgments. It's a good thing. Uh, if you want a great read, I read this book a couple of years ago by Daniel Kahneman called Thinking Fast and Slow. It's brilliant. And it's all about the, how the different ways that our brain processes information. And that one of the, again, one of the miracles of our minds is that we learn how to process an incredible amount of information in a very short period of time. And so we create shortcuts for ourselves. And a lot of the time, that's really beneficial to us. We don't have to analyze everything happening around us all the time. We learn patterns, we can make quick judgments and assumptions, and it's very helpful. But there are certain times in our life where our thinking defaults to this, where we just make quick decisions, we think fast when we should actually be thinking slow. And what a parable does is it forces us to get away from the thinking fast, from the, the passage you've heard before, the quote you've heard before, the saying you've heard before. It forces us to think a lot more deeply about what's going on. Rather than spitting out easily digested platitudes, Jesus engaged the crowd with stories. So again, go back to that list that I pulled up. The parable of the sower we're talking about right now, the parable of the talents, where different people were given different amounts of money and how they spent it mattered. It, it, they were honoring God by the way that they spent uh, the talents of the gifts and the money that was given to them. Um, the parable of the lost sheep, this story that tells the story of the extravagance of God who has this idea of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, but one of them wanders away, and, and God leaves the 99 and goes after the one who'd wandered away. That's a profound story that tells us significant about something significant about the kingdom of God. In the parable of the mustard seed, we hear just this reference to this tiniest of all seeds, which when planted can actually bloom into a giant plant or a tree even. We hear the parable of the Good Samaritan where people were asking, well, I don't even know who my neighbor is. Who am I responsible for? And we hear this incredible story that would have been so offensive to the listeners about a Samaritan, that the hated rivals of the Jews, who actually was the one in a certain situation who took care of a wounded and helpless individual. The parable of the prodigal son about a child who demands his father's inheritance, goes off, blows it away in wild living, and is welcomed back into his father's home. And it's also a story about another prodigal son who was home the whole time, but never took advantages of being in his father's household. All of these stories, they're beautiful, rich stories, not to say this is what it is, and here's how you define the kingdom, and this is the message in one quick uh, snippet, but a story to engage us where we can identify with our own experience, that we can identify at a heart level, and really come to understand what the message of the kingdom is. A bit later in Mark chapter 4, uh, the gospel says, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. And this might be frustrating. I think sometimes we just want easy answers. Sometimes we just want, just give it to me straight. What's the answer on this? And Jesus is like, well, let me tell you a story. No, don't tell me a story. Don't make this complicated. Just, just speak it straight to me. But no, there's always this story because the message of the kingdom is not something that can be bottled up that simply. There's this great poem from uh, Emily Dickinson. She writes, Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies. Too bright for our infirm delight, the truth's superb surprise. As lightning to the children, eased with explanation kind, the truth must dazzle gradually, or every man be blind. These beautiful words that get to the, to the heart of like, no, we, we can't understand real valuable truth quickly or simply. It's got to be something that's told to us on an angle so we can approach it without being blinded. 
this week, uh, my oldest son, Owen, he sent a, a screenshot of uh, his study notes for a midterm he was writing. Now, this may make some sense to some of you in the room, but it certainly doesn't make sense to me. I told him the answer was probably seven, and he said, these are just formulas. <laughs> He's like, they're not even questions, they're just formulas. <laughs> so that's how much I know. But I was thinking about this, and that he can, he can use these formulas and apply them and, and study for a midterm in statistics, um, not because... Uh, not because he hasn't put any effort in. The reality is there, there's many different levels that lead to a person being able to understand these characters and solve a problem using it. it. It's the course that maybe he took last term, and then it was maybe the course that was taken the year before, and then it's you know a math course at the end of high school, and then it was earlier, more foundational math courses, that way down to the time where you're just learning how to add numbers together. You begin, and then you build on it, and slowly the, your understanding grows to the, to the place where you're actually able to comprehend something like this. Genuine understanding. Understanding the big questions, they require time, and they require effort. At our Human Beings event this last week, which is a, a monthly coffee house kind of event we have for students and young adults, we had uh, a speaker in talking about the poetry of G.K. Chesterton, and he had uh, this quote that I jotted down because I thought it was so good and applied to what we're talking about this morning. G.K. Chesterton said, a paradox is truth standing on her head trying to get our attention. And I thought, you know, we could say the same kind of thing about these parables that Jesus used. Is he says these things that they're meant to get our attention, to get, to get us to pay attention, to think differently about the things that we have these big questions about. Parables force us to think slowly. They force us to think differently. And so, the parable that we're talking about this morning begins this way. Listen, Jesus says, listen, pay attention. A farmer went out to sow his seed. When I was young, uh, my grandparents, they lived just outside, well, in Waterloo on Woolwich Street. The house doesn't exist anymore. And it was a great place to go as a kid. You'd pull into the driveway, and it was like this dirt road, and there's a giant barn there. And then the house was over this way. And, and they had a kind of a little bit of a garden off to the side of the house. And then they had this massive field. And I don't know what you would call it. It was either an enormous garden or a small farm. Um, but my grandpa was, uh, he was a quiet soul. He kept to himself. I didn't really speak to him much, like as a child. He just kind of did his own thing. We would all go over there for family things, and, and he'd be tinkering away in the garage or on his tractor, going around doing this, that, or the other thing. Um, so what I think about that garden or that farm, whatever it was, uh, what I remember is the harvesting. I was involved to participate by, by picking corn or picking strawberries or picking whatever else is out there. Like, I remember, I have memories of doing those things. But how those things actually came to be, I was not part of any of the rest of the process. I was never part of the tilling the ground. I was never part of the sowing the seeds or the watering or the fertilizing. None, I was never part of that. It was just the harvesting at the end. But there's a whole process to get to that place. And so when Jesus tells this story, he's talking about something that probably a lot of his listeners would have been pretty familiar with. Things that some of us city folk don't know a whole lot about. So he starts off and he says, okay, well, let me tell you this story. The farmer went out to sow his seed. And then when he explains this, he explains what the seed is. The farmer sows the word. The farmer sows the word. Well, what is the word? Uh, we all have the same experience of your phone rings and 
it's a number that says unknown caller, and you don't know who this person is. Now, I can remember back in the day, as many people here will, uh, when telemarketers used to call your house. Remember that? And you pick up the phone, and it was someone trying to sell you something. But that really doesn't happen that much anymore. Now it's just like robots calling your house. You pick up the phone, and there's no one there. Or it's just like some weird sound. And the thing that's really driving me crazy lately, and I don't know, quick show of hands, is this happening to you? They've been calling my house between like 5 and 6 in the morning. Is this happening to anyone else? Like, it's driving me nuts, because when your phone rings at 5 in the morning, what do you think? Something really important has happened. Some, someone has died, someone has been in an accident, some giant news has broken, and so you quickly wake up, you grab the phone. Seriously. Anyways, this has been happening the last couple of months. It's driving me a little crazy. You assume it's something urgent and important, but in fact, it's nothing. Well, what is this word that Jesus said the farmer is sowing? The farmer's going out scattering seed, and the seed is the word. What is that? Is it important? Does it matter? Is it significant? One Bible commentator, John Gill, says, The word is the word of life and truth, the word of peace and reconciliation, the word of faith and righteousness, the word of salvation. And when I read this, I was like, it's just the word about everything that matters. That's what this farmer is scattering. It, this seed is, is everything. It is a comment. It is wisdom about everything that matters to us. In Matthew's version of the gospel, he says the, the seed is the message about the kingdom. It's the message about the kingdom. This is what's going on. The seed is a message, and specifically, the message is an invitation to see the world differently and to act on this new understanding. Dallas Willard translates Jesus' introduction of the message that he was preaching from Matthew 4:17 like this. Rethink your life in light of the fact that the kingdom of the heavens is now open to all. And so you can picture this farmer walking around scattering seed. And every seed that falls is a message that's saying you are invited to rethink your life in light of the fact that the kingdom of the heavens is now open to all. And that seed is falling all over the place. In the Second World War, it's estimated that six billion leaflets were dropped over battlefields during the war. And they were dropped by one side to the, over the other side's army as a way of trying to uh, sway their morale. And so I pulled a couple of examples here. The one on the left is like, remember her last kiss? And so this would be like, like the Nazis, you know, they would be sending this over the American troops and saying, do you remember the woman you left behind? Do you remember what that was like? Do you really want to be out here in the mud and the rain with bullets flying around you? Don't you just want to go home? And the other one is even a little more graphic. It's a, it's a picture of someone basically having an affair with your wife. You're over here fighting in the war, but do you know what your wife's doing? She's with another man. Get back. Rescue her. Defeat that guy. And so they're dropping these leaflets because they wanted to change their minds. They wanted them to think, I don't, I don't want to be here. I want to be somewhere else. Well, Jesus' approach was similar and yet different to this, this idea of the message being scattered. He appealed to what was possible. Instead of saying, you should give up, you should stop what you're doing right now. You see, he was talking to people who had already, to a large degree, given up. They'd given up, and, it's, and his message is not, give up and go home. His message is, have hope. God's kingdom is here. It's arriving right where you are. Now, on the surface... The message of the kingdom is just words. But like a seed, a dead thing in and of itself, it's a message that's full of potential. And in the right environment, it's a message that grows and produces fruit. We'll talk about 
what that right environment is over the course of the next few weeks as we explore some of the, the wrong environments that seed can fall on. We'll discover what the right environment is. The path. When a seed falls on a path, how's it going to grow? There's no place for it to put down root. Or even if it falls in rocky places, it will put down roots, but there's not enough soil there. Or what if it f- falls among thorns? There are other more aggressive plants that are going to choke it out. It'll never grow. But then there is good soil. There is a, an opportunity. There's a way that a seed can grow and flourish. We'll talk about that this month. The last thing I want us to think about is how the farmer distributed the seed. Jesus says as he was scattering the seed. The farmer in Jesus' parable distributes the seed without prejudice. The message of the kingdom, that all are invited to rethink their life in light of the fact that the kingdom of the heavens is open to all, is scattered broadly. Not dropped as modern machinery. We have these amazing things that farmers can just make sure the seeds only go in, in the path that they need to go. No, the farmer is walking around scattering the seeds, just throwing it to the wind. Let it, let it fall where it will fall. And I'm sure that we all have people in our lives that we would assume would never respond to the message of Jesus. Why would we sow seed there? Maybe based on someone's appearance, you're like, yeah, that person's never going to respond to this message. Or maybe their social status, whether high or low, you know, this message isn't going to connect with them. Maybe their religion. Well, they already have answers, so this message isn't really for them. What about their personality or their age? We could go on and on. There's so many reasons or assumptions that we make about other people, but the farmer goes out and scatters the seed broadly. Um, Melissa's been writing a blog lately, and her last one uh, referred to this book, The Home for Unwanted Girls by Joanna Goodman, where the main character's father owns a garden shop. And at one point he shares kind of some life advice with his daughter. Sow seed generously, one for the rook, one for the crow, one to die, one to grow. And there's something in this parable. Before we even talk about where the seed lands and how it dies or grows, there's something in this parable that has the same thing. Just sow the seed generally. Scatter it to the wind. Let it fall where it will fall. Some of it will be taken away, but some of it will grow. Now, any faith that we have, for those of us who would name ourselves as people of faith this morning, is the result of a seed that someone else has scattered. And I think that's an important thing for us to ponder as we begin to unpack this parable. That someone scattered seed, and it landed. And it was put down some roots, and it started to grow. And you may think that you're a well-grown plant, or you may think you're struggling and You need someone to water you, but someone scattered a seed. And I think it's, I want to end with this this challenge and this encouragement that whatever it is that we have, we need to reflect that responsibility back out into the world around us. Leslie Newbegin, who lived um, his life scattering the seed and and writing about, about the challenge and the opportunity of scattering the seed of the message of the kingdom, writes, to be chosen... To be elect, therefore, does not mean that the elect are saved and the rest are lost. To be elect in Christ Jesus means to be incorporated into his mission in the world. To be the bearer of God's saving purpose for his whole world. To be the sign and the agent and the first fruit of his blessed kingdom, which is for all. That's a beautiful reminder. We're here because someone else scattered their seed. And we are called and invited to be the kind of people who do the same thing. At the very end of Mark's gospel, the reading this morning is toward the beginning, but the very last chapter, we read that the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them 
and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So I'll leave with this thought from Ecclesiastes 11.6. Keep on sowing your seed, for you never know which will grow. Perhaps it all will. Stand with me, please. Lord, we give thanks this morning that the seed of the message of the kingdom has been scattered and that we have been recipients of it. God, I'm grateful for that. I've been thinking a lot about that this week, and, and I'm grateful that someone scattered that seed and, and that it's continuing to grow in my own life. And God, we acknowledge that no one in this room has arrived, as we talked about at the beginning, that, that we're all a work in progress. We don't come here as finished product. We come here acknowledging our failures and our shortcomings, but we believe that part of what it means for us to grow in a life of faith is to understand the responsibility of being ones who continue to scatter and spread the message of the kingdom with our words, with our actions, in our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our neighborhoods. And so, God, I pray that you would inspire us in this as the season of Lent marches on. God, I pray that you'd be with us this morning as we gather around tables. And for those who are, will be leaving at this point, God, that you would go with them through the rest of the day. And that the words that we've read this morning would be echoing in all of our hearts and mind throughout the week. With thanks in Christ's name we pray. Amen.